Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston. We're recording this episode on a sunny Friday afternoon here in Manchester. I'm joined by my two colleagues, Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrone Marshall. Lads, it's the Ryder Cup this weekend. So we've got our team captains here, Tyrone and Samuel. But who's Zach Johnson and who's Luke Donald? That's the question. I wouldn't even want to... Ty's a golf man, so he should answer that, shouldn't he? I think he's more of an authority on golf. Ah, okay, fair enough, yeah. I mean, neither, I mean, neither are great leaders, are they? Zach Johnson looks immensely boring. There was a great line in, um, I think it was Ollie Holt's piece on him this morning, about a, a man who looks scared that he might say something interesting at any moment. And... Uh, <laughs> It summed it up perfectly. So, yeah, if I had to choose one, I'd be Luke Donald. There was a clip of Luke Donald if he was speaking Italian, which he was quite impressive. Yeah, no, Can I review speak Italian, lads? No, but I saw that he's, he's, got some, uh, he's got some bromance with Michael Jordan as well, which was, yeah. this was the most unlikely bromance thing I could have ever clapped uh, eyes on, but uh, he's, he's done well for himself. Well, I hope for some last dance mentions in this podcast. If either you can sneak that in throughout the next 45 minutes, I'll be impressed. Anyways, a uh, very comfortable win on Tuesday night, lads, in the Carabao Cup third round against Crystal Palace. You were both in the press box, obviously. Um, Samuel, I'll start with you. It was probably the perfect night, really. I mean, players returning from injury, a very, very comfortable 3-0 win. I mean, Palace were really poor and they just didn't threaten at all. Struggled to get out of their own half. But on the flip side, United were brilliant and a very good win in the end. It was bliss for us because it was the easiest, most serene night that we've had for a long time covering United and there's this misconception that we, we always want to see United do badly and this, this paranoid outlook on things. It's not the case at all. It, as I said, it was it was bliss to go to a game that was completely calm. You sensed it would be an easy night as well. Palace took a few hundred fans, I think it was, and normally they travel quite well. Understandable when they're they're back up in Manchester on Saturday uh, for for a bigger game, but I can't remember what the quote was from Hodgson pre-match. But they clearly saw that game as as an inconvenience, and United treats it a lot more seriously. And as you say, in terms of a win, it was a resounding win. They played well. There were good individual performances. Players came back from injury, got minutes. Uh, players came through the game unscathed as well. Mount coming off at half time that was pre-planned. There wasn't a single negative aspect uh, about the result whatsoever. A few more goal scorers as well, getting their first goals of the season. And as, as we've said before, in terms of the League Cup, they do have to treat it seriously. I think we all sense that it wouldn't be rotational mass from Ten Hag because he doesn't do that. Although there's still some aspects of the team we thought maybe that was a slight risk. But the way Palace approached it really did play into their hands. And those who came back in... Uh, in fans them hit the ground running. I mean, I'm sure we'll get on to Mason Mount, but I thought he was probably the story of the night, even though he, he came off at half time. So that did see the uh, attention go elsewhere, I suppose, with Amrabat making his debut. And then he spoke after the game to, to Ty and, and, and Simon Peach as well. So there was always going to be a bit of the fanfare around him. 
So, yeah, it's given the way this season has started where there's always been an issue or there's been a bit of negativity about every result, whether they've won or lost. It was it was a real change of pace to actually write on a game where it was just purely positive. And as I said, it was um, it was a very calm evening as well. Is this the earliest you've ever filed a match report? It was one of the earliest, yeah. I think the earliest is probably still when they thrashed Tranmere 6-0 in the uh, FA Cup. Although, it, it, that said, that... Um, that was not great in terms of the press facilities that day. I was literally just sat in the stands, no power, and probably just trying to get the copy across before my laptop uh, copped out. Well, it's now getting a bit colder. So when I go to Lee Sports Village to watch it in the 21s, the cold will bite in my fingers. I'm, I'm not looking forward to that. Always cold there. Yeah, well. it yes. is, it is, it is, no matter what. Uh, Ty, we'll, we'll go on the Mason Mountain, as, as Samuel said, a fantastic performance. He came into to the club from Chelsea, um, a number 10, an attacking midfielder. He's been brought to Old Trafford to play in a, a deeper role, a number eight position. He probably, it's probably fair to say, struggled in the first two games uh, against Wolves and Tottenham. Midfield looked a bit unbalanced, didn't it? He's obviously picked up an injury, but he made his return. And it was a stylish return, wasn't it? He looked really confident, switched the ball around really well. Um, his pass to Palestri for that first goal was brilliant. So what did you make of his performance? Because it really felt like the night that Mason Mount finally arrived at the club, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. It was his best 45 minutes for United by a distance, including pre-season. I think he, you know, he created or was heavily involved in the creation of four decent chances in the first half. His work rate was was excellent, as it always is. And like I say, it was a very assured, composed midfield performance against very soporific opposition, it has to be said. I mean, yeah, normally, you know, it's very rare you see a team just not bother to press at all these days, but Palace just didn't press at any point in that game. It was it was three three lines, basically, two banks of four and a front two within about 20 yards of each other. And even then, they didn't defend particularly well. Um, but no, Mount was was really good for forty five minutes. It was a very encouraging performance. It should be lift off for him. Um, it, thankfully, it was pre planned to to go off at half time. It looked a bit a bit confusing there. We were both saying at the time it felt like Mount was the story. You know, I'd written four hundred words at half time talking of getting things done early on Mount for a morning piece, and then he didn't come back out for the second half. I was frantically messaging you saying, "Please tell me, Sky, you're going to say it's all okay." and Obviously, we didn't know then until after the game. It's a nervy wait for the next 20 minutes, wasn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, do I have to rip that up, start again? Um, yeah, it was, you know, it, it it did feel like liftoff for him. I think he'll be in the team this weekend. Uh, a much, much better performance. Um, you know, I, I've, I've said previously, I always felt he was going to take him time to settle into that role. I said it previously, Ten Hag signed the Mason Mount that he saw at Vitesse, basically, the one who was playing as a central midfielder rather than an attacking midfielder or in the front three. For Chelsea and England, so often he's played either very high up the pitch in attacking midfielder or on the wings. And Ten Hag wants the old version of, of Mason Mount. It's going to take a while to to get that back, especially in a team that's not really been functioning, especially in midfield. But that, you know, Tuesday night was definitely promising signs that he's, he's on the right track and can can do it eventually. New signings had a great impact. Mason Mount and Sofia Amrabat had a fantastic game of Ford Samuel. Strangely enough, though, when the team news came, he's a left back. I think we we're all thinking, what's going on here? He obviously played down to 10 Hag at Utrecht, to be fair, but he is a defensive midfielder. That's where he usually plays. But he's fantastic, wasn't he, Samuel, in that position? He was obviously a versatile player. And I thought it was just interesting. Although he's playing left back, he's probably everywhere. At one point, he was out the South Star next to you guys in the press box making a tackle in the first half. Then he was back at left back. Then he was in midfield playing that inverted role. So it was a really a, a impressive performance from Amrabat as well. Ten Hag said uh, a couple of weeks ago that he could play wing back, he could play full back, and I think there was a goalkeeper. Amrabat has volunteered to go in goal if, uh, if, if they're in need of one. But uh, he... I think it was the way he imposed himself on the game that he was like, he's obviously a very physical player anyway, which I think stands him in good stead coming to the Premier League. But they were clearly continuing this this strategy of trying to get a midfielder to go into midfield and him and Dallow were taking it in terms. It was probably Dallow's best game all calendar year, I would say, as well. Uh, he did very well for the first goal, but it, it was it was the ideal setting to come in and make your full debut because as we just said, like Palace tossed it off really there will be a very it'll be a very different palace you'd imagine on Saturday uh when they will have their players back in I mean Eze came on for the last stages of it and looks like he looked very threatening I mean he's a, he's a really good player he's, he's a very exciting player to watch he can make things happen so it was the right game to 
ease a player into it. And that was maybe why I thought, certainly as far as the goalkeeping situation was concerned, it was strange that Anana didn't didn't have a night off there because they need to have a look at Bay and Deer before the the Africa Cup of Nations in January because between now and the end of the year, it's difficult to see where Anana comes out of the team. I mean, if, if you're not going to, if you're going to play Anana against Palace in the third round, you're logically going to play him against Newcastle in, in in the next round as well. But going back to Amrabat, it was it, it went according to plan. Get, giving him an hour, got a good ovation. Um, Ty and, and and Simon spoke to him after the game and said he was he was really really polite, nice nice lad as well. And that always goes a long way. I mean, that, that dressing room has had issues with certain characters in recent years not so much under Ten Hag if, if there has been an issue he's, he's just got rid of the player really and th- as I said it, with with Amrabat it does help I mean I think it was Carl Anker who said in the press room beforehand that he had played at left back a handful of times for Ten Hag at Utrecht and sometimes I remember at the start of last season when United started the campaign with Christian Eriksen up front against Brighton which lasted 45 minutes and Brighton were 2 nil up and Ten Hag said afterwards, oh, he played there a few times for Ajax and immediately he thought, this is a bit of a worry if you're harking back to the past. And I did think that slightly with, with Amrabat going there in the week. But he had to play there because they didn't have another senior uh, senior option available. Reguilon was unwell, Malassia and Shaw long-term absentees. And he, he acquitted himself, he, he, as I said, he acquitted himself very, very well Uh the, all of the back four played pretty well. I mean, Maguire had a good night. Uh, Varane coasted through the game. So when all the players that you're playing with are playing well, and I noticed during one stoppage, Amrabat and Casemiro were having a chat. Um, and th- that's been lacking a lot this season. It, it's felt to me watching United, there hasn't been a lot of communication between the players. But against Burnley, they were communicating more. And I think Evans brought that um, to the team and in the week. It seems even without Evans starting, that that culture was back there. It helped that there were senior players playing, but Amrabat is a senior player. What with being twenty-seven, I take it he speaks really good English. Uh, given that you're looking at the transcript in the week as well, so so far so good. But of course, it's a League Cup tie against a, a shadow team, really. Who who I would imagine will be a very different team this weekend because United have not had it easy against the Palace for, for quite some time in the league. Right, Tyrone, I'm led to believe you in the mix soon on Tuesday night and after getting ignored by a player the other week who we did name him on this podcast. Um, but we won't take offence by, of course, it's part of the, part, it's part of the industry, <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. But no, Amrabat and, and came and had a conversation with you after the game. So tell her a bit more about that because you did a piece, but for the listeners who haven't read it, expand on what it was said because he came across quite well by all accounts. Yeah, he did. Yeah, very um, very nice guy, very engaging with his answers. Um, it was very late when we did it. It must have been about 10 past, quarter past 11. Um, was told, I think he'd done Sky post-match um, and then was told he was in the shower, um, which he seemed to be quite a while, which for someone with no hair, uh, a remarkable a remarkable cleanliness routine. And yeah, then he came out and we were in the tunnel rather than the mix zone, uh, me and Simon Peach, and he did... He did MUTV and we kind of jumped on the back of that. Um, MUTV was mostly post-match stuff. Um, there was a little line about his, his injury and his fitness. Obviously, he came with this some kind of unknown injury. They all seem to be unknown injuries at United these days. And he did say he's not 100% at the moment. Obviously, he was training on his own with Fiorentina as well for most of pre-season. Um, but he looked pretty fit the other night. And then, yeah, came to us and some interesting stuff. Um, you know, Peachy asked him about uh, like his style and what to bring to United and Thought it was interesting that he, you know, for a midfielder, he never once talked about like his passing range or creating goals, that sort of stuff. It was all like, um, I give my all for the team and all for the shirt. And but Ten Hag had called him a warrior pre-match when he called when he picked him at left back, and it kind of chimed with that. And I think we did say, you know, Eric had called you a warrior, and there was kind of like that that little chuckle that suggested he'd he'd heard it again. Um, and when he was talking about playing left back, he said, "Yeah, the manager played me there." at Utrecht seven years ago, whenever it was. Um, but no, very interesting. And then asked him about the, the his future, obviously, because he, he he said that when he played the Conference League final against West Ham, he knew then that it was almost certainly his last game for the club, that he was going to leave. United were were interested all summer. You know, he, he gave the game away in a way by saying that it, it was only ever United. He said there was lots of discussions with clubs, lots of talks. Atletico Madrid, we know we're, we're 
very keen on him. But he always wanted United. He said it was a very difficult summer. Obviously, he had to wait until deadline day for it to happen. And it sums up United's sort of financial fair play concerns at the moment that it it could only happen when Dean Henderson was sold to Palace. And even then, it could only happen on loan when Tenag wanted him permanently. So, you know, I asked him if he felt like this was an audition and he was very much, you know, I, I'm not looking at it like that. I'm here now. I'm a Manchester United player. But he did say, of course, I, you know, I'm, I'm desperate to stay here. I want to stay. Um, and it feels like something would have to go badly wrong for that option. I think it's 25 million euro option to about 21 million pound for that not to be activated. I think something would have to go badly wrong given how much Ten Hag wants him. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting. We don't really know the fine details of that option, but it, it's interesting how there must be a wording that United have to take it up because he's out of contract in the summer. So theoretically, United could just approach him on the 1st of January and offer him a contract and sell him on a free. But presumably the deal with Fiorentina forbids them from for doing that. Um, obviously, he could talk to other clubs from the 1st of January for free. So maybe United will will activate that option in January, possibly. Um, we want to keep an eye on given his contract status. And that's what made it an unusual deal that theoretically Fiorentina have got 10 million euros. But if he doesn't, you know, if, he, if United don't keep him, that's all they're getting. And then he probably goes on a free somewhere else. So... You know, it is an unusual deal, but he, he, you know, he wasn't one of these where it's like, kind of saying, "Oh, great to be here," but I'm still a Fiorentina player. We'll see what happens. It was very much like, "I want to stay here." You know, I'm, I'm, I'm at United at the moment. I'm not looking too far into the future, but I want to stay. And yeah, he was very, you know, good talker, engaging. We were told he was in a rush to go, which he would be at quarter past eleven, but he was he has to go do his hair, doesn't he? Has to go do his hair, of course. Yeah, but no, he was very, very engaging, uh, very interesting. He, he did say at the end, you know, I, I feel we could do something big this year once we've got a fully fit squad. So, yeah, and he came across in that in that interview really well. I was impressed with what I heard. It says a lot about the club, though, that Amrabat was desperate to join. And he kind of talked about wanting since a kid to play for Manchester United and it was a dream come true to play Old Trafford. Obviously, varying success, should we say, over the last 10 years at the club. But it's still got that appeal, doesn't it? And it says a lot about the project that Eric Ten Hag's building. And he was so desperate to come and, and, and to sign. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And I think, you know, he seems to really like Ten Hag. There seems to be a real sort of mutual attraction between the two. Um, you know, Amrabat, when they were at Utrecht, was like 19, 20 years old. Um, so it was it was Ten Hag that gave him his chance in senior football. We played him at left back. Um, and, you know, they, he, he's clearly, Ten Hag has clearly remembered what he can bring. And it was interesting, he described him as a warrior. And, you know, we saw the the tackle, I, I did the mix zone quotes and I wrote a piece about him the next morning and said it in a way that the way he described himself, not mentioning any technical gifts or anything like that, but all about like heart on the sleeve, play for the badge. You know, it's fitting for someone who, when you say his name, you know, you say the name of a central midfielder, say the name of Sofran Amrabat and everyone goes, oh yeah, the tackle on Mbappe. You know, he's he's remembered for the tackle. It's what you think of and you think of him. And, you know, it, that does kind of sum him up. And Ten Hag has, has tried to sign these players for United, there's a bit of that, or probably a lot of that in Martinez, in Casemiro, in Anthony, in another way, that kind of edge in his game, a little bit of nastiness, fieriness. Um, and, and Amrabat's the same. And I think Tanag's tried to bring that. I think he sensed that maybe he took over a squad that was a bit soft, perhaps. And I think he sees Amrabat in, in that mould as well. Um, so, so, yeah, I think, you know, he, he will, it will be a decent signing. But like you say, there is still that attraction, I think, for, not for every player. It's there's there's an interesting case study now with you know, we were talking about this last week in Munich that players like Haaland and Bellingham now they don't need to play for Manchester United to become amongst the best players in the world, which they both are at the moment, probably in the top five. Both could have signed for United as eighteen, nineteen year olds or younger and didn't didn't see the need to do it. And that's gotta be a concern for United. If this was fifteen years ago, Harland and Bellingham would both have gone to United and thought that's where I need to be. Now they don't. They don't need that anymore. They don't feel they need United, which is a concern. But there is still an attraction to players like Ikamrabat, who, you know, we we asked him um, once the once the microphones had been turned off for United fan growing up, and he, you know, we kind he basically said, I "Don't really support anyone." I supported my brother's team, so big Watford fan. Um, uh, and so you know, he's not someone who grew up supporting United like Rasmus Hoyland did but still sees it as a dream to play there. So it is still an attraction for 
for some players, but not all of them. And I guess that's what you know. His brother plays for AK Athens now, actually, I think. Has he got a couple of brothers or he's just got the one? I don't know. I don't know. Nor, and I think he's just got, well... I followed his performance closely anyways against Brighton. It was interesting. He's got a look very, very similar. They do look very Could similar. be twins, couldn't yeah, they? I think, yeah. Anyways, we'll leave it there for part one. We'll be back in a moment for part two. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, we've just had some breaking news there um, following part one. So Samuel just had a nip out of the room there to type up a line because Anthony... Uh, is returning to training. There has been a decision made uh, following allegations of abuse, which he denied. Um, so I'll just read the official statement from the club here before we get into it a bit more. Since allegations were first made in June, Anthony's cooperated with the police inquiries in both Brazil and the UK, and he continues to do so. As Anthony's employer, Manchester United, has decided that he will resume training at Carrington and he will be available for selection while police inquiries proceed. This will be kept under review pending further developments in the case. As a club, we condemn acts of violence and abuse. We recognise the importance of safeguarding all of those involved in this situation and acknowledge the impact these allegations have on survivors of abuse. Samuel, uh, you've just nipped out to write up that line. Uh, your initial reaction, please. Obviously, it's a breaking story just as we're recording this podcast. Yeah, I think it's, it's probably important to flesh it out with the context that United have given because the, one of the questions that's been posed already is, what has changed in terms of him coming back in because he is still facing these allegations in Brazil and, and England. From United's perspective, he's voluntarily cooperated with the investigation. He was driven to uh, a police station in Cheshire yesterday, I think for an appointment at about 4pm. And where he's not been arrested, where he's not been detained and where he's not been charged in Brazil or in England yet, the club feel it's appropriate that he's... Reintegrate is probably the wrong word because he's not been away. I think his leave of absence has been about 19 days, but they feel it's appropriate that he comes back into uh, team training that he's made available for selection. He won't be training today. Uh, we're speaking on the Friday. He won't be playing against Crystal Palace tomorrow, but he could feasibly be in the squad against Galatasaray on Tuesday and play in that game or play against uh, Brentford next Saturday. I suppose th this is going to be a story that will continue to develop over the forthcoming weeks because Brazil will have international fixtures coming up. I, I assume that their squad will be announced next week and the decision will be made whether Anthony comes back in or whether he um, stays out of it because, of course, they decided that he shouldn't be in the squad amid these allegations last month and that's essentially what what triggered United into act spurred United into action, sorry, and they agreed that that leave of absence with him. I think when Ten Hag was asked about it uh, a couple of weeks ago, he said he was, and he, he said he had spoken to Anthony, he said he was okay. I think looking at United's statement, I think it's, they've, it's certainly a better statement. They've gone about it in a, in a better, a sounder way with communications than they did with Greenwood and that they have stressed the importance of 
noting that the impact these you know these matters have on on domestic abuse survivors and those who've been subjected to uh, d- domestic abuse and that they're they're condemning that as they should. So I can see where they're coming from, but I also know that there are going to be a lot of people who will be unhappy about it because he is facing these these allegations. He's, as you said, he he's denied any wrongdoing. Um, that there have been some other women who've come forward alleging uh, abuse by by Anthony, and he he denies those those accusations as well. He did an interview earlier this month, and United say that he's provided evidence that uh, that, that supports his. His, his case on that as well. So I can understand where you know, are coming from and we're, we're just observing as, as, as journalists here and being objective. So you have to look at it from both sides. There will be some people, some support, some United supporters as well who will be unhappy about Anthony coming back in because police are still continuing inquiries. It's, um, it's, it's not case closed whatsoever and that the things could, could still happen on it. But you know, I to feel as though where he's he's being cooperative, where he's not been in prison, where he's not been detained or, or arrested, that it's it's fair that he's allowed to come back into the squad. We were quite critical of the club Tyrone with the Mason Greenwood situation and the way they handled that. Um, I just checked the date; it was the tenth of September that he was actually uh, sus- suspended, like he wouldn't return to training. That decision was announced, um, but it seems that they've handled this issue with a bit more. Uh, they took it a bit more seriously, haven't they? I think the club, that's what they wanted to get across anyways a few weeks ago. And now he's going to return back to training, obviously not today, um, possibly Monday, Samuel said. But it does seem like they are handling it a bit better this time. Yeah, I think they've got this one pretty much right. I mean, it was it was, it was was a difficult one for them because of the way they handled the Mason Greenwood situation and this coming two weeks after it. And, you know, you mentioned suspended there. I think United were keen to point out at the time he wasn't suspended. It was, a, I think they called it a leave of absence um, you know, and, and it it is a difficult one because, as they say, he's not been arrested, he's not been charged. the The, the authorities in Brazil said he could leave the country um, earlier in the week. He attended this long interview with GMP on Thursday and wasn't detained or arrested. hasn't been charged with anything. So, you know, I think this is probably the right outcome. Otherwise, you kind of reach that that point of, you know, he's suspended until until what? Because there might there might never be an arrest or, or charges. Um, so I think this is, oh, I think this is the right outcome. Clearly, if you know, if he's arrested on Monday, then he, he goes back to, you know, that, I'm sure that will be a suspension and he will be unavailable, but it does feel like they've got this one right. Um, you know, I think the, the decision at the time to give him that leave of absence was, was probably the correct call after what happened with Brazil. I think we mentioned on the ta- uh, at the time that in a way, because it was in the public domain, it, it almost had to had to happen that way, and he had to confront what was happening. But you know, it's it's one of those where it's because it's in the public domain that it's happened. He's he hadn't been; it, it was purely allegations. There's other footballers who face allegations and arrested who aren't in the public domain who, who carry on playing. So, it, it, another difficult one for United to handle. I think they've definitely handled this one a lot better. The statement they've released today makes sense. Um, you know, I think it's it's the right decision. I think for Anthony and and morally, and like we say, I think they will get criticism. They'll get criticism on the back of what they did with Greenwood, but you know, he, he hasn't been arrested or charged. And until that changes, I think this is this is probably the right call. There is, I mean, Mason Greenwood was arrested, was arrested hours after away and was charged. that material was posted. So it was, I mean, they they noted the accusations early on that day, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it was. Not not even the evening uh, on that Sunday that they announced that he was he was just suspended until further notice. So I think in with, with the Greenwood one, that was a lot more straightforward in how you went about dealing with the player. With the Anthony one, it's it's still quite open. He he may he may be arrested, but until if that does happen, then I think we would all assume that United will be suspending him. I mean, they did they did the right thing when Greenwood was arrested. It it was. It was the aftermath with Greenwood that they got wrong. You know, they they did the right thing when they suspended him immediately. And like I say, I'm sure if Anthony is arrested after these any of these allegations, I'm sure he he will be suspended. But at the moment, he hasn't been. He has cooperated fully. So, you know, I think this is is probably at the moment the right outcome. But 
Always something to change. I feel like I've read out more statements on this podcast than I've had hot dinners in the yeah. last two months or so. But that's my point. I mean, obviously, Anthony's always protested his innocence, maintained his innocence, sorry, um, and denied the allegations. But we don't really want these stories to guys. I mean, especially associated with such a brand like Manchester United, its history and how the club itself and how proud supporters are. You don't really want these stories attached at any time, do you, really? It's not nice to be speaking about. No, no, uh, that's that's the easy answer to it, and I, I think the there was a lot to be disappointed by with the the fallout from from Greenwood in in August and those statements that they release, and I, I think what United should have stressed at the time, and I think they did put it out there that they w- would encourage younger players to have healthier relationships at, at home and to avoid certain turbulence but I I thought they should have been stronger and they should have announced a, an educational program for academy players because however way you look at it they have had players come through their academy over the last 30 years and they've either been in court on serious charges or they were going to court until in the end something happened and it didn't go to trial I don't think you can just say that's we're unlucky that's a coincidence where they are Manchester United the, the scrutiny is a hell of a lot harsher on them and the limelight is going to be placed on them firmly with those those situations but I thought that would have been a really progressive stride made but they've they've not done that and you, you just hope that we can go another 30 years and they, they won't have any anything like these high profile matters that they've had to address uh, as I said in, in, in quite recent times really regarding those those three academy players who've been in Manchester Crown Court or certainly been escorted to Manchester Crown Court, even if it, in, in the case of Greenwood, obviously it, it didn't go to trial. But they do have a duty of care, not just to the players, they have a duty of care to female followers of the team who, who go to matches, who, who watch the games, and of course the, the female players at the club as well. It's um, Since the women's team was uh, incepted five years ago, there's an additional duty of care uh, because of that reputational damage that that came with the Greenwood uh, the Greenwood situation. This is this is the thing as well. Yeah, you're right. What you mentioned before, it's very easy f- for people in you know fans to say, well, Anthony should have always been allowed to play because if he was working for you know any other company, really, that, and, until he's arrested, he would he would be allowed to be. The club have got a duty of care, though. Yeah, and that's it. It's totally different. It's a huge global brand. Whatever, you know, they have to be seen to be doing the right thing. They have to set an example to those supporters, to the people who look up to them. So it is totally different from being in an industry without those eyes on it where Anthony would have continued working through this and, and until he's arrested, you know, he, he wouldn't have been given this leave of absence or, or told to stay away from the ground, turning around and we're going to look at it. But it's it's different when it's a, you know, when it's a, a football club, especially one like Manchester United who have to have to get these, these judgment calls right to, to set that example to their fans and followers. A colleague of ours, it was his, when Greenwood was arrested, I think he said it was his son's seventh birthday that day, coincidentally, and his son is asking, because he's a United mad kid, what's going on with Mason? And how do you go about telling your lads what, what the situation is? It's not there? a conversation you want to be having with your no. child. And it's, it's the kind of anecdote that really should have, you know, it should have been relayed to the powers that be at the club and that's why you cannot bring, you can't have that player playing for Manchester United again. They should have made a moral decision with Mason Greenwood and, I mean, they really did botch it. They they made a mess of it, even if they did eventually make the right decision. We'll move on then. Um, Jaden Sancho and uh, having an outburst on social media seems a bit more trivial, but it's a matter that's rumbling on as well still. And it just seems sensible to put it in this segment because it's coming up to four weeks, Tyrone, on, on Sunday um, that he wrote that post on, on Twitter after the Arsenal game. Obviously, Tenor came out and said he hasn't been selected because of his training performances. Sancho said, basically, do not listen to my manager. He's talking a lot of nonsense. Um, he had the, the tweet pinned. He eventually took it down later that week, but... We're still in this situation. It's, there's no end in sight as of now. But surely, Tyrone, it can't go on for much longer because you've got a player here that's just kind of sitting around and training separately. And that surely can't continue. It's not healthy, is it? I don't see a resolution at the moment, really. I mean, we, you know, we were told on Tuesday that, you know, something I said, there is, there's an easy way back, I think was the, the word you used to say. Sorry. <laughs> Sancho apologised. <laughs> and I'd still not let him play again. But if he, <laughs> yeah. But if he wanted to apologise, he would have done it now. Like I say, it's four weeks. It's, it must be two weeks since he was 
um, told to train on his own. He's not apologised. If he felt he needed to apologise or wanted to apologise, he would have done it by now. You know, his everything you're seeing from him suggests that he doesn't think he needs to apologise or doesn't want to apologise. I can't see Ten Hag backing down. I mean, you know, it's it's only a couple of press conferences ago when, when Ten Hag was said he, would, he was brought in to set some standards and sort out this this no-good culture. And if he now backs down and says to Sancho, all right, you've not apologised, but don't do it again and lets him back in, that, that erodes his authority. So it was the quote you mentioned in the podcast thing while I was off. What, the, yeah, in the book in about the book, I, I will forgive, but I will not forget. Um, and got that tired on his arm, apparently. <laughs> I can, you can imagine he has, and you can see it now that he's. I, I, I don't everything from everything we know of him and our dealings with him. I don't get the impression that if he set his store out that the only way you're coming back is if you apologise. I don't. I don't see how we can allow any other outcome. Exactly. exactly. I mean, the issue is. I kind of wrote this the other day that essentially United have bought Ten Hag in, right, get some discipline in this squad, set some standards. Now it's like, right, okay, uh, thanks for that. But this is going to cost us like 50 million quid. Because like you say, if this is still a situation on the 1st of January and he's not apologised and he's still training on his own, he's got to go. And United cannot drive any kind of deal when it's clear that he's not going to play for the club. So, you know, that, that desire to set standards... And I, I, I don't for one minute think Ted Hag will care uh, if he sold and what fee he sold for. But when United are so, uh, I can say financially stricken, but it's such a balance like with FFP. We, we were talking about it with Amrabat before and now they can only sign him on loan when they sold Dean Anderson. To, to lose a player that they signed for 73 million for, I mean, we're guessing, but what, 20 million maybe in January if he goes? Maybe less than that, given the, the situation, if, he, if he's not reintegrated by then. You know, it is, and even then, it's a risk for any new club. I mean, you are taking a punt to some extent, but not so much from Sancho at all over the last two years. Well, he's yeah. not the same player as he was at Dortmund. On and off the pitch, it's clearly it's yeah. clearly a risk for any club. And there's no way United can say, you know, United can't engineer a bidding war. Cause and any elite club worth their salt will not be going near him. I was laughing seeing them linked to Newcastle and thinking... And that team's a high-pressing team, intensity, energy. And you, you watch Sancho over the last couple of years, he's the opposite of that, really, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, Ten Hag yeah. wants to play like that, and yeah. he's, he's not coming across that. Samuel did say, though, any elite club. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, why, then? Why is he not apologising? We sat on this podcast a few weeks ago, and we said, look, the mature thing to do, swallow your pride. Is it simply an ego thing, Samuel, do you think? And I know that's ironic, because don't get us wrong, journalism, wait, there's egos. In football, there's definitely egos. Um, but do you think it's, it's Sancho's pride that he doesn't want to... Do you think he just thinks, no, do you know what? I'm within my right. I'm not backing down. Is it a simple case of that? I'd, I'd rather know rather than, than speculate because he, he did eventually delete the post, which is not exactly a contrite act, but it's, it's, a, it's a step before it, I suppose. There's, there's some lingering regret about it, I suppose, uh, that you, you, could, you could look at. But he's... He's not arriving at the same time as the squad at Carrington. He is going to Carrington skip still, but he is turning up at a different time. I think there was a, a picture of him with a kid uh, the other day outside the training ground, and he's he's always been really good with the supporters, apparently, who who turn up and would like an autograph, would like a, a picture with him. But that's one side of it. That's the, the good kid, in, in the words of someone quite high up at the club, who... They'd, they've, they'd encountered during their time working with him and dealing with him. But I go back to that Ten Hag quote, you can't forget what he did. He accused the Manchester United manager of lying. And even if he said sorry, I think they should just be, as soon as January, before, before January even, they should be you know putting the feelers out. Who would want him? Who would take him? I think that shifting him permanently is going to be difficult so it's is there a club out there that I mean you're looking at possibly a team in in the Premier League who need need a bit need a bit of inspiration not even that I mean they need a bit of inspiration to to get to 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 survive and need a bit of a maverick coming in who could catch fire and be brilliant for them and they cover his loan um sorry his wages on a loan arrangement for the remainder of the season, you're looking at something like that and then maybe his rep- reputation repairs and then they can sell him at a, for a reasonable fee in the summer. They're not going to sell him for a good fee if they ever do. 
but I, I just I think that there has to be there has to be a principle there that where he is accused the Manchester United manager of lying, you cannot get away with that. And Sir Alex Ferguson turfed out a lot of much better players at United who did considerably less, really, who, who had barely transgressed, and they were shown the door. Uh, Generations change, but they've got to be core principles that are maintained. And you cannot get away with saying the Manchester manager has lied, especially when it had been established that his training form had been had, had contributed to him not playing for England for a certain period of time. It's not a coincidence. And as you said a couple of weeks ago, he'd used the word scapegoat in a in a statement when there was an issue at Dortmund about his his timekeeping. So he's. He's got to look. He's got to look in the mirror and you know, decide: Does he want to be a serious footballer, or does he just want to, you know, toss it all off and end up in Saudi Arabia and essentially retire at a very, very premature age? Could play FIFA quietly in Saudi Arabia, though. I'm not sure they'd mind. Uh, he has got a, a lot of time to play FIFA in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> he has a question for you: Who's got the biggest ego in football right now as an active player? It's Ronaldo. Exactly. And what did he do after two days? He apologised to Tenog. If Ronaldo can apologise... Did he apologise? Well, I don't think he Well, did. he was welcomed back into the squad and surely he had to apologise to some extent. It was a mealy mouth statement that had been curated but, by that, a dodgy PR advice. Would that not have been good enough for Sancho? But didn't he say something like, my, sometimes emotions get the better of us or it was something tantamount to that and he, he still cleared off. Well, it was what... Just over two weeks later, he was having his um, ego massaged by Piers Morgan, saying he had no respect for the Man United man. That's true. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, have United really missed Sancho? I mean, I know the answer to this, to be fair, across the last few weeks, Tyrone. Um, as we've said, he's been very underwhelming. We, we don't really know which... Did you say they've missed him? Have they, have they missed him? <laughs> and I said, I think I already know the answer to that question. Um, I mean, like I said, we don't, we've never really used position. We've talked about Matt Lemps on this podcast. We're really trying to kind of become a bit of a conundrum, didn't he? Which was frustrating. But like I said, they've not really missed him, have they? That's the thing. Well, well no, even off the bench. They've not missed him for a long time because he's not played well for a long time. I mean, it, it, it sums it up in a way that really he should have seen what happened in that international break with Anthony and just thought, right, this is, this is my chance here. You know, Green was gone. Anthony's out of the picture all of a sudden. Even if you do what you do as a kid and you go up to Ten Hag and you say, sorry, with your fingers behind your back or something, you know, just just say it and get back in the picture and think this is my chance to turn it around. I could get a run of games on the right here. All right, I'd rather play on the left, but I do know what I'm doing on the right. And instead, he's just seen it as like, no, I, you know, I'm I'm refusing to apologise. And you know, Samuel's right. It'd be great to hear from him at some point, and I'm sure we will. We will do eventually, and I'm sure it'll be explosive um, from from his point of view anyway, and the way he feels he's been treated. But like you say, they've not missed him and. We, you know, we can we only really go on Ten Hag's word for training performances, but it won't be surprised because his playing performances have been pretty wretched since he moved as well. You can count on definitely two hands, maybe one hand, the amount of good games or really good games he's he's had for United. He just he doesn't influence games, and, and my memory's terrible. Samuel probably could. But. It was under, as I said, it was under Rangnick. Yeah, he, he, he came back in Feb, February twenty two and going into March a little bit. So you're talking about six weeks of consistently good performances in just over two years. And he did he did okay a couple of times when he came back from his yeah. break with Ten Hag last season. But beyond that, they, they haven't missed him. And if he wants to play on the left, I mean, he's below Rashford, he's below Garnacho. So that's great. That's the great thing about United's due diligence, like the, the, the recruitment department say, oh, sign that guy for the right. And... Everyone, I mean, I don't think any of us are religious watchers of the Bundesliga, but we all know that... Massive, massive Wolfsburg fan. You, you, you still live a student lifestyle, I suppose, Stephen. Um, but we all knew that he played on left quite a bit at Dortmund, and then they still thought, do you know what, let's... let's well, his minute-to-goal ratio was so much better on the left side. I did a piece when he first signed about that than on the right. So if we can see it with basic data... Think about the analysis team. They should have spotted that, shouldn't they? That, that's, that's what I mean about the due diligence. And there were some red flags about his, his character as well before United still decided to go ahead with the deal because it had been a it had been a deal that had been about four years in the making. They even tried to have a go at signing him from City's academy. And while he was at Dortmund, it seemed like he was destined to end up at United. But United, I mean, they could have said no. 
it does it, it feels like he needs better advice or someone to kind of you know grip hold of him and turn this around you mentioned that and that's twice now he's accused clubs or managers of scapegoating him the the absence last year Rub Guardiola up the wrong way as well Guardi- the Guardiola issue you know this is becoming he stopped, t- he stopped turning up for training under Guardiola didn't yeah, he? when he was 17 yeah it, it, there's clearly you know I don't want to say some kind of issues we don't read we don't know what what is driving this whether it is ego whether it's insecurity or something like that you know we, we just don't know so we describing me yeah. that definitely is describing you <laughs> But it feels like, you know, he needs he needs someone to give him better advice or someone just to, you know, to help him find a way through this because we know he's a fantastic footballer, but he is, for whatever reason, he's shooting himself in the foot at the moment and doing it fairly regularly. And I said previously, I mean, England would have to have eight wingers injured for Sancho to have any chance of getting in the squad at the moment, probably more than that. Um, but there is a good player in there. And we talk of, you know, where would he go? I mean, Nottingham Forest with Steve Cooper is probably the obvious an obvious candidate. He, he managed him in the under 17s. I think Cooper's got a really good relationship with all of that squad. He seems to be. They did an embrace, didn't they, after he yeah, came back yeah, last season in the League Cup game? game. Back, yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, he, he... And Cooper went up to him at the final whistle and found him. And from what you hear of Steve Cooper, it sounds like he was, he was really good in that England under 17 role. He's still, you know, quite close to Phil Foden. You always see them embrace after games. So maybe he could get the best out of him and get his career back on track but it feels that's what it needs I could see him linking up well with Gibbs White the way he plays little passes entry around the box and that kind of play you could see him doing well there. I mean they they had a, a good thing going there with with Brennan Johnson on the other side and um, mm. the, the, is it Awani I think I've yeah, might mis, mispronounced him but he was he, he's been doing very well as well and you thought with those three together they, they were they looked quite comfortable staying up the season, but then of course Johnson's been sold to Tottenham, and I know Langer has done okay there so far. Scored a very good goal against Chelsea, but if you've got Sancho and Gibbs White as your your two fours behind your front man, um, I think that's something that certainly I mean Forest fans got giddy about Jesse Lingard signing for them last year. So uh, it, there's form there. You know, they'll take a United reject. So I think there was a photo of Sancho and Lingard spending time together recently, actually, um, in. I believe Sancho's car on Instagram. I'm not sure that Lingard's the best person to be spending all your time around with, but... Uh, he's going to Saudi Arabia. Well, he's in Saudi Arabia, isn't he? He's come come to Saudi Arabia, oh. Jaden, is what he's saying, basically. Anyways, Sancho will continue to be on the naughty step for now. Uh, we'll be back in the moment for part three. Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. We're going to Look ahead to Saturday afternoon, gents, which is 3pm kickoff at Old Trafford against Crystal Palace again. Yeah, it's, it's all fun and games, isn't it? One exciting game that wasn't Tuesday. But no, in all seriousness, Samuel, it, it should be a different game. Um, Ten Hag said after the match, he's expecting a different side. And um, you mentioned Eze kind of came on and changed the game. He had a big influence. But it's still a game United should really be winning comfortably, especially after the midweek exploits. Well, I mean... Johnson will start and goal. You'd think Mark Guehi, Joachim Anderson, who pretty good defensive partnership for Palace. I mean, coincidentally, I think tomorrow it's it's six years since United last beat Palace, last had their easiest win against Palace. They thumped them 4-0 and that was during the start of the season where Frankton Boyle got sacked and I think Hodgson was about two weeks in. But Hodgson has overseen a really such an improvement from Palace that I think their last five league games at Old Trafford they've won two and, and drawn one United don't have it easy against them whether it's at Selhurst or at Old Trafford anymore the, the two games last season which were quite held to, held within about a two week gap I think it was because the, the away game was rearranged due to the Queen's death they were really tired Palace got a late goal to uh, get a draw at Selhurst and United were clinging on with, with 10 men at Old Trafford so I, I could see it you know, panning out similarly as well t- tomorrow, in, even though United are starting to get a bit of momentum. They've got to use these bank of games, not just to, to win all the games because they've got so many home games, but also, and there were signs of it in the week, of re-implementing the style that Ten Hag wants them to play because against Burnley, they won with Burnley having just just over 60%. Which, oh. by the way, I predicted that on the... I think were you on the preview podcast time. It was definitely me and you, Samuel. I said, I expected Burnley to have the bulk of the ball, actually. That's, Which, well, 
It's why you come and listen to this podcast, isn't it, it is. Sam? The, that exact reason. Great football in mind. I, I suppose the, the, the dilemma going into it is what do you do with that front six? Because Mesbury came off early in the week. I, I think five of that front six picks itself. But it's a case of do you continue with Fernandes on the right and Mesbury behind Hoyland? Or do, do, you, do you actually move Mount to the right? I think moving Mount to the right after his performance in the week would be a stretch. But if Reguillon is fit, Reguillon has to play at left-back. So it could be that Amrabat, as well as he did in the week, he starts on the bench just because that's the, the way the form is going at the moment and you, you, want, you want a specialist left-back playing at left-back. But if he decides to start Amrabat in midfield, he's going to be with Casemiro. And do, do you start Mount on the bench again? That would feel strange. He played 45 minutes in the week. You'd think that he's going to start with a view of him to completing 90 minutes or close to 90 minutes in, in the league game because he's he's getting up to speed. So uh, that's that's the one point of fascination um, because as, as well as Mount and Amrabat both did in the week, it's provided that Reguillon is not fit, I think it would be a surprise if both of them would start. And Reguillon only missed the game in the week because he's, he's unwell. He's had ample time to to recover where, where they've played on Tuesday and had a, a four-day four break. Sorry, a four-day gap between the games. So, yeah, it's it's still a game United should be winning. But Palace, although you think Crystal Palace at home, that, that should be relatively straightforward. It, it hasn't been in recent years. It's It's always a... A very tight one and, and Palace have had a couple of good wins at Old Trafford as well. Samuel must have read my mind because I was coming on to you, Tyrone, to ask you about this midfield. So, suddenly a dilemma, really. Um, I mean, maybe not for, for Saturday because of the players available, but let's say we just discuss Anthony. Throw him into the equation on Tuesday. Um, Tenard loves to start Anthony regardless of his form. So let's say Anthony starts. Where does that leave, leave the midfield? And it's probably going to look like that in the coming weeks if Anthony has that position nailed down. Because it'll be Casemiro, Fernandez, Amrabat, Mason Mount. And I mean, I can't count. And that's four players for a three man midfield. And Ericsson as well. I've been a bit disrespectful. Tom Tomini. Okay, we're, we're taking the mic now. Copy main. But it's a good headache to have now, isn't it? All of a sudden, now players have, have come back from injury. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's the strongest area of the team, I think, in terms of depth, for sure. Um, you know, I, I would use one of Mount or Fernandez on the right tomorrow. Um, even if they were interchanging and swapping that role between the ten and the right, I think it, you know, it makes sense to get them in there. I think it, you know, I've not seen Palestri really influence games from the start. Um, I, you know, God Show hasn't done either until until Tuesday night. That was the first time for a while he's influenced the game from a start, and, and I think only the second time he's ever played a full. Your blog post was worth knowing. You said it was his second goal only when he started. Which yeah, felt- well, that's it. I think he's got six goals now. And I think four of them have been off the bench. Four assists and all of them have been off the bench. So he's he's a better player coming on to change a game. And if you start Rashford and Ganacho, you then haven't got a winger to come on really and change the game. So I would look to use one of Fernandes and, and Mount, I think, especially while you've got these options in midfield. And with Anthony coming back now, um, like I say, who wouldn't really bother me? He, I think even they, they could even, like I say, swap and, and interchange a bit. I mean... Fernandez did all right when he played on the right last season, to be fair. Mount, he does traditionally as well. He does, yeah. He's got a decent record there. Mason Mount, one of Mount's best runs of form at Chelsea under Tuchel, I think, came playing on the right. So they can both do it. Um, and I think it's, you know, I think that's probably the solution tomorrow. But yeah, going forward, there's, there's options in that midfield. Um, you know, I think he played, one of our colleagues was saying, I think he played Amrabat in the second season at Utrecht in a diamond midfield. Um, and obviously that's something we saw that's going to be Carl who said Brighton that. it was I think that was a Carl um, I've not looked it up since I was going to do a piece on it but I've not looked it up since and it, with Anthony coming back he, he probably won't revert to that now because like you say it's it, it, he likes Anthony playing It's you could use that diamond with Rashford and Hoyland through the middle and if you add Mount and Amrabat either side I mean they've both got the work rate to kind of play as central midfielders covering wide but probably something we won't see now but yeah I, I for Saturday, I would go with the four-three-three and use one of Mount and Fernandez on the right. And even after saying that, I feel like I've been very harsh because I've just omitted Hannibal from the conversation. Started against Burnley, started in. Who mid-week. I could see starting tomorrow. Well, there you go. And what have you thought about him, Samuel? Because although, I mean, you can kind of watch him and think, "What does he do?" But then you look at the running stats and you look at the intensity he gives the team and the energy. And this is a team that still 
gets accused of not being able to run and, and not running. So I think that's, so that's, that's a it's a huge way. asset really, isn't yeah, it, to the team? And he, he kind of sets that tempo. There's a few clips of him sprinting back and getting back to win balls. And Tenor loves that. We know he does. So do you think he'll start tomorrow? Do you think he'll I wouldn't retain surprised. his position? I, I think that's. I think there's a good chance of that still still happening. And I mean, he, he did come off early in the week as well. And th- there'll have been a combination of where he has expended so much energy across the best part of. 180 minutes where he's, he started the last two games and, and he did see it, see out the game against Burnley. But also you do wonder whether Ten Hag had a mind on on this weekend's game. I think Amrabat coming off after an hour was very much, that's a player who's not had a lot of competitive football recently and, and has been carrying an injury and has only just come back recently. But with Mejbri, I think there's, he's he's got to start, he's got to start doing it with the ball. That's, that, that that was a thing that has, has stood out in in these two games. I think in fairness at Burnley, his his performance was bookended by two passes for Rashford getting into shooting opportunities, but in between there wasn't a lot of productivity when he was on the ball. But you still look at his stats, and I mean people can look at stats and say, "Oh, he was amazing." He no, we love, we love stats though. But it was it was. <laughs> He's he's had two decent like six out of ten. What were these six out of ten performances where he's not done he's not done a lot right, he's not done a lot wrong, but his presence has certainly been justified and especially with Burnley and they've got players who want to play out from the back. If you've got two twenty year olds who are very energetic, very eager to impress and also do press it's it was a worthy tactic and it certainly worked because Burnley didn't get a lot of joy doing that against United. And with Palace, it will be slightly, it will be different. I mean, Roy Hodgson, it must be about best part of 40 years older than, than Vincent Company. But what he's done at Palace has, has worked to the extent that they, they brought him back last season. They've, they've stuck with him this season. Uh, so I'd, I, I would like to see him start just to give him another opportunity to try and cut it in terms of, creating opportunities and doing more on the ball because there, ha- there are still times and it was apparent in the week Ten Hag spoke to him at length a few times in the first half where you can still see some teething issues there where he is still although he's 20 as far as a first teamer or playing first team football as un- at United goes he's still quite raw and there is still a lot of catching up to do there particularly where he's on loan last season but he is getting there and he's he's certainly a worthy squad addition and more worthy Number ten than than Donny Van der Beek. I mean, when when when, well, when we were at Turf Moor last week and the players would come around the corner, when Van der Beek actually came through the door, I, I actually did say Jesus Christ. Like, I, I was I was so <laughs> no Donny using the <laughs> using the Lord's name in vain, Samuel. I, I, I was I was that stunned by by his uh, by his presence at Turf Moor, and uh, I would I would imagine, given the players available tomorrow, he will um, he will not be on the bench. I interviewed Birmingham's assistant manager uh, last week for a feature I had to come out tomorrow morning. He used the words aggressive, aggressive pressure when talking about Hannibal. And I think that's what he gives aside, doesn't he, he does, from the yeah, front. A lot of aggressive it. pressure. Samuel mentioned that him and Hoyland, you could see being a really good combination actually for, for pressing. So now discussed that, didn't he, after the game? He said them two together, the pressing was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. We stick with a, a youngster, and we didn't actually mention Dan Gore um, from the first part of Tyrone. Made his debut for the club. He's made excellent progress in the academy. He was part of that Youth Cup winning side. Um, four of the players who started in that FA Youth Cup winning side have now made the debuts, which is great to see. But he was quite polished, wasn't he, um, against Palace? And look, he's been on the bench a few times and things are looking up for him. Yeah, he looks he looks a real player. Got a lot of potential. Did well in pre-season. The, the game you were at, especially against Leon at Murrayfield, he was really impressive. And yeah, he, you know, he did very well on Tuesday night. He looked composed. Didn't look overawed by it, so a lot, a lot to like. And you know, there's some decent young midfielders there. We've mentioned Hannibal. Um, we've not really mentioned Kobe Mayne, who's coming back now and is is very close to fitness. And I think he's probably going to be on the bench for a lot of these games. And it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic works. And you know, we mentioned Van der Beek. He's obviously going to drop out of the picture, I think. Now, McTominay and Mayne might well be competing for one one place on the bench with. Um, with Amrabat here now, it'd be interesting to see which way that that goes, given how how much Ted Hag likes Mainu, and I think it was clear in pre-season that he really, really liked him as a player. Um, so yeah, there is some some potential there. I think with all the midfielders fit, I think Dangor drops out of the matchday squad, but 
you'd imagine he'd stay around the first team training group this year and a great experience to get his debut when he's you know he's still only 18 so 19 is it 19 it was his birthday on Tuesday was it Tuesday on the day it was his birthday, birthday on the day ah oh, happy birthday Dan well you've both failed because you haven't put a last dance reference in this podcast lads and right at the end Samuel not good enough I expected better from you I know, I know for a fact that he loved that series it was, I know it was it was, it was, it was yeah absolutely during the uh, a bit of a revelation I only watched it the other week the other month actually last month I'm one of those people that when, you know, when trends are happening, you just think, I don't want to jump on the bandwagon. I can tell that from your dress sense, actually. It's quite similar to yours, actually, so I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a slight on me, to be honest. <laughs> so the, the older statesmen were ahead of the curve with a, with a trend there, it seems, whereas the, the young, young, goodness knows what you were doing. <laughs> you don't want to know. Anyways, thank you very much for your time, Samuel. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Tyrone. Thank you, Stephen. And thanks to listeners. As usual, head across to YouTube, like, subscribe, etc. Uh, we're available on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, have a great weekend. Enjoy it. See you later.